throughout responses, engine 5, engine 3, engine 1, ladder 3, ladder 2, rescue 1. We've got smoke showing. Division 1, you're on location, block 23, reporting smoke showing 727. Welcome to Job Talks Podcast. Our goal is to facilitate knowledge sharing. The views and opinions of the hosts and guests on the show belong solely to the people expressing them. We do not represent the departments, cities, or towns we work for. Hey, guys. Uh, you might notice that we have a missing member of the podcast here. Our friend, Barold is currently in the hospital with his wife. Everything is good and happy. But he is about to welcome his first child into the world. So... First and foremost, big congratulations. Yeah, big congratulations in order. In order. Uh, and uh, while he's congratulating it, his wife is doing all the hard work. So uh, we love you. We hope everything is going well. We have decided to take this time to do a tactical pause in the show. Um, we have some events coming up that we're trying to plan for. Um, obviously, we have a, a brand new member of Job Talks being welcomed into the world. So we're going to take a break for a couple of weeks while we put that stuff together. In the meantime, here is episode number 20, a highlight reel. See you guys in a couple of weeks. Job talks out. We have hits from, uh, currently have hits from, uh, Russia, Belarus, mm -hmm. uh, North Korea, uh, and a few other authoritarian States, uh, and the United States. So, so multinational, that's yeah. it. And Canada. Uh, <laughs> Uh, on a serious note, welcome to the show. This is obviously our first episode, so we're probably going to be really awkward and have no idea what we're doing. So we're going to uh, kind of wash that away with some booze and uh, hopefully get through the show. <laughs> One of the big things at the end of the day is everyone's, especially as a new member, like you have to like just be okay with the fact that you're going to make plenty of mistakes and that's fine. And like people are going to understand that you're going to, at least they should understand you're going to make mistakes, but it's your attitude. Like, do you take ownership of the fact that you made a mistake and try and correct it? Like that's where people are going to build that trust in you as an individual. Right. Like it's okay to make yeah. mistakes. Everyone here is going to make mistakes and we're going to make mistakes throughout our career. But are you willing to take ownership of it and identify it and then chart a path towards a solution? Mm -hmm. And then can you, can you be humble enough to like, like Will just did like share that with the group. So yeah. other people's don't, other people don't make the same mistake as you. So I'll share some of the, uh, some of the comments I got. See, there's some of the, some of really good ones. Um, so this is from a, a ladder company lieutenant. Uh, he said, he gave me two things, and I thought both were very good. He said, be the first to volunteer for an activity during a training exercise and do as many reps as you can. Make sure that it's uh, them that tell you to stop. It shows you're serious about perfecting your craft and eager to learn. And two, he said, if someone wants to show you a task or your tool that you've already seen, don't tell them that you've already seen it. Let them show it to you again. More than likely, you'll get information and understanding from that second rep that you might not have had the first time. You also won't alienate senior members who are taking the initiative and caring enough to show you the job. I think that's, mm -hmm. a, that's a great yeah. one. I like that one a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Not going to lie. My go-to tool is my, uh, is my ads right here, this bad boy. So that's, that's a uh, building records ads. So a little background about that. My, uh, my old man owned a demo company. And so, I mean, I've had these, you know, and then we've just, I've demoed the inside of, I don't know, 10 houses and including some, you know, some of the, my own, include my own house. Right. So 
I've just gotten really effective at uh, swinging one of these, and it's really good for overhaul. There's a lot of things that it is suited for and a lot of things that it's not suited for. Um, we'll get back into that in a minute. Before that, though, I'm going to get into uh, Barry's typical loadout. I see a pair of really large calves in that. Uh, I didn't know. I must have missed yeah, in that group of photos. That's, that's, that's my. Calves. I'm extremely interested. <laughs> that's my calves in those giant calves. Yeah. Go. So as you can see, um, a typical loadout, depending on the call, you know, um, kind of really dictates what I what I have in my pockets. Mm -hmm. um, but I normally carry like um, 18s, uh, 16s, 18s, and 20s. I like to use my 20s a lot. Uh, syringes. So I carry a whole load out of those with some tags, extra tegaderms. Those come in handy. Yep. Uh, monitor on my back, depending on the call. Like if it's a full box assignment, I'll grab our oxygen uh, and airway bag and throw that on my back. Uh, monitor on the side. Uh, and then if it's like multiple alarms, I'll also grab the spare um, spare medication box because you never know how many patients you're going to have. Dude. Yeah. That's Which, a good call. you know, people, yeah, like people don't realize, like you see those pictures of like the guy's with the various, um, you know, like an engine company guy has like this weighs 45 pounds. Like now the can man, like this weighs 75 pounds. Like, yeah, try all your EMS bags. <laughs> Heavy <laughs> and cumbersome and they swing. So not only do you getting have to through, have... Getting through fire like yeah. that is hard. Yeah, not only, yeah. To get to the patient, yeah. You have to have dexterity. The bags are swinging, so you have to have good core strength. Low visibility. Uh, low visibility. And trying to do like get your 12 lead placed appropriately in low visibility environment. Yeah, yeah. It, it it takes time. I um, think so. I think when you say like being good at failure, it's important distinction is like you're not going out and failing to learn from failure. Being good at failure means that when you fail, which is inevitable, that you have the mindset to learn from it, right? So it's not like we want you to be good at failing, go out and fail. But when you do fail, figure out what happened, why it happened, take that lesson from it, bring it back, you know, learn from it, and. Hopefully it's on on a you know we talked about where hopefully it's on a call that that has no like negative impact to the outcome of that call. But even if it does, it's all the the more important that you actually be self reflective and and learn from it. Yeah, and I think there's some calls and at there's some calls. I think some of the calls that are the most important, at least the mo most important to me, especially when you get really good at something and you're operating at a high level. Like I am my my own biggest critic. Um, the calls that I think are the most important is where the only person that, that knows you fucked up is you, right? Yeah. Where everyone else is like, Absolutely. hey, good job, bro, on that call. You did great, like great patient care, great job on this extrication, great whatever. But you know you did something that you could do better at. And those are the calls where it's the most important to take ownership because you're the only person holding yourself accountable and you need to make a choice. Like I could let it slide and take the credit for this and like my internal monologue is like, yeah, Barry, you did a great fucking job. Like fucking pat yourself on the back. Or you can be like, you know what? Like at the end of the day, like I know I did something that I could do better, and I need to, I need to implement a solution, find a way, uh, and that happens to me all the time. You know? Kind of like that, uh, what you're doing when people are watching versus what you're doing when people aren't, and yeah. mm -hmm. and I also think like failure is like a, you know, people hear the term and they're like turned off by it. You know, failure sounds like really big, but failure isn't necessarily like, like you're saying, like you actually like failed and fucked something up, but just the like, hey. I did this and it worked out, but I could have also done this and maybe it would have worked out better. Yeah. At the end so. of the day, like you guys are all some of my best friends. I want all of you to fail in life. Well, I think Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, literally and figuratively. We're going to do a call out segment <laughs> and it'll explain a few things. 
one, my tardiness today, and two, why I don't have sneakers and I have these Jesus flip-flops on. So anyways, I just wanted to call out Gio and Andy and say thank you <laughs> for relieving me uh, not early. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so today, hate to talk about it, but early relief. It's an important one, guys. It, it, listen, if you say you're going to be there, <coughs> you just got to be there. The, but, fl- uh, the flops also have an ulterior benefit based on our <laughs> right. viewership. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ran- random, random fact for our viewers. Um, episode six got a weirdly high number of views on YouTube. Like, not that we're not awesome in the number it's one podcast, like and it's not because Barry's you know attractive and uh, good at what he does. But in viewing the analytics for our almost 1,000 views in the course of a few days, we found that under the search terms where people found our podcast were bare feet male podcasts was 6.5% of the search terms that landed people uh, onto our page. So <laughs> we're going to hit 1,000 because of that. So now everyone just, removes uh, their just shoes. Just wanted to let you guys know that... Uh, we're here to make money. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, but seriously, fun fact. Yeah, we're so, trying to raise some dough for the show. <laughs> to just get back into that really quickly, it's actually kind of a funny story, and it points out one thing about the fire service. I don't make plans after my shifts. I typically don't because of the predictability of the unpredictability. Yep. So, and that's just how it went this morning. The cards were stacked against me. The guys tried to get there on time. One of the guys lives in town. His truck got a flat, I guess, like, not just a flat, but it was a blowout. So one of the other guys went, rolled you know, in service to go. Yeah, rolled into a ravine. He <laughs> went to go pick him up, and while he was picking him up, they got that. An asteroid came. They got that, <laughs> that 650 call for some yep. bull crap envy. Anyhow. They got there as quick as they could. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you. Uh, so, all right, so I got a couple of questions. If you've watched our podcast before, we always like to end it with a question of the day. Today, we're going to have uh, a five questions of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of the goal is just like we talk about these subjects. And like you said, we want to talk about some stuff that's not necessarily related to the fire service. So question number one, uh, who has the better mustache? Put it up. John or Firefighter Fenton? Ooh. Who's got the better mustache? Better mustache. So John. if you think if you think John over here, John Morrissey has a better mustache, raise your hand. Raise your hand. No. Oh. Oh. oh, oh you right. got yes. You got, a, you got a pity you. vote. Congratulations. No. Nope. Nope. All right. Vote. If, All right. You, if you think Firefighter Fenton has the better mustache, raise your hand. Oh, over no. here. Over here. All right. Unreal. You guys have been dedicated. There's a bag of coffee. Hopefully it doesn't bust. Now, your now the big question is: Is do you think Firefighter Fenton's mustache is real? Oh, oh. That's a real if you okay, think guess. if you think his mustache is real, raise your hand. Oh, oh. go go home. Actually, right. you know what, Eric? Just yeah. just for believing in fake yeah. stuff. Here you go. There we go. There oh, we go. Open. So we were. <laughs> Good job. Maybe, maybe we'll have him come uh, up and get it. I'll get you another one. <laughs> so All right. We, so we we briefly hit on this topic, and you told us your max lifts for your clean and jerk and your snatch, but. Can anybody guess? I'm just gonna I'm gonna do I'm gonna break it down in uh, in fifties. If you think Jason's maximum deadlift was 500 pounds or less, raise your hand. Wow! Wow! People got faith in you. A lot of confidence. If you think it was 550 pounds or less, raise your hand. 
They got one wow, for 550 wow. or less. I'm not right. a believer. If you think it was 600 pounds or less, raise your hand. Raise your hand. All right, I see, I see a few yeah, hands. Good job. Raise, Great. raise your nice. hands. Raise your yeah. hands. All right, so. It was actually, what was it, 1,020 pounds? Was 1, 000, you guys no, are all wrong. That's a lot. Nobody gets some coffee. Hey, John, you want to give the, this guy in the black T-shirt? He's been answering some questions over Look there. Look at that guy. Look at that. Looks good with a bat. Don't hit the Who camera. else had their hand up for the uh, 600 or less over here? Oh, Right here? This kid right here? You want a yeah. T-shirt, bud? You want to, I was going to give him coffee. <laughs> yeah. There you don't go, get him going on coffee. Don't get him addicted. Yeah. If that, we only have, uh, we don't know what size we have up here, so if that doesn't fit, after this you can find us in the back and we'll exchange it for a, the, for a smaller one. The answer one. is that doesn't fit. It's What's that? What? You want a t-shirt? Oh, there you Look go, buddy. That. Nice. All right. There we go. <laughs> so if you've, watched our, if you've watched our podcast, you know that we like to uh, pick on uh, certain people here that don't know how to cook meat properly. So who amongst the Job Talks crew John. is most likely to order overcooked hamburgers and steaks? If you think it's me... Raise your hand, and then leave. We know he it's knows not his, me. He knows his food. I know, I know my food. Yeah. Yeah. If, you think, if you think it is... Uh, <laughs> what's up, man? How you doing? If you think it is uh, John over here, raise your hand. No. Do you think with a mustache yeah, like that, this guy uh, eats oh, medium yeah. well meat? Questionable. Uh, Questionable at If all. you think it's Barry that eats overcooked meat yeah raise your hand yeah. yeah yeah that sounds about right Do you really you like it well done? I one, trust you, one of you guys in the booth over there that's been serving us drinks all day come get a bag of coffee yeah any one of you guys over there <laughs> wait do you eat well yeah. done come get a free bag of coffee now there's a, you know this like He's a liar common, a lot of common misconceptions here jason my wife air fried steak air one fried time steak. <laughs> ever since then it's been downhill air fried steak it's actually not bad is, I don't. I mean, can you cook it? It was an act of desperation. I just want you oh, to know that yeah. in the, in the live chat, it's just like Barry, 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 <laughs> yeah. Barry. Oh, coffee, Barry. coffee, yeah. coffee. This yeah, yeah, ridiculous. yeah. There you go. This is ridiculous. Chocolate. There you go. God, right. she was so mad about that. I Why actually, was she so that, angry? Where's my coffee? The guy that just came up and uh, yeah. and shook my hand here is yeah. is a cop. Yeah. And uh, we have one question. Are there any police in the in the audience here in the crowd here? Police officers. Yeah. Uh, any cops? All right. We have one. So. He, listen, this is his. This is his question, bro. It's my question. I it, does anybody know what all cops have in common? That yeah, they yes. do love donuts. All right, good answer. Any other answers? Uh, here it comes. What's that? Nobody wants to be one. Also, another also, accurate answer. Took the wrong. That's, yeah, I'm gonna that's, give it. Yeah, that's, we're gonna that's give it to enough. you. The that's answer such. is a failed fire yes. exam. All cops oh, have a failed God. fire exam. Give you're, this guy a bag of coffee over which, here. Which, he got it. Which uh, you want, Dark Roast? Yeah. You, want, you look Medium like a roast? you look like a Dark Roast. You look like a Dark Roast guy. guy. Yeah. So we got a Definitely a Dark Roast yeah. guy. Skull crushing espresso. Hey, uh, there we go. Police yeah. officer, <laughs> you tase him right now, but who's, I'll give you all the rest who's of the our, coffee. Who's our cop over here? Who's yeah. our cop that took that in stride? Give this go, guy buddy. a bag of coffee. You want, you want a bag of coffee? Spread. Come on, buddy. It'll Come go on. well with your donuts. Yeah. It'll go well with your donuts. Actually, we have donut infused, don't we? Or do we already give that one out? Uh, there you go. All right. I like that my, uh, I'm reading the live chat here. I like that my crew dined me out with the uh, overcooked meat. Thank you, Paul I, Burke. I, so I, so I, just want, I just want everybody to know that Barry's a liar when he says he doesn't overcook his meat. Yeah. No, Absolutely not true. Medium rare. Medium rare. Yeah, okay. All right, so um, some of the teams here have had the, uh, did a lot of fundraising and got to play with some of the uh, some former pros in hockey. Actually, our fire department is playing with uh, PJ Stock. Yes. Uh, during the tournament. So, a completely non-firefighter public safety related question. Does anybody know 
in two seasons with the Boston Bruins, how many fights PJ Stock got in? Any? How many? 37. Any other guesses? He said that 39? like he actually knows the answer. No, he. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and I wear the T-shirt to tell you. Hey, thank you for your service. Thank you. Give it. Let's give this guy a T-shirt. Don't give us a T-shirt. We'll give you a copy. You want a T-shirt? Give this guy a T-shirt. Give that guy. Give All right, so we have we have thirty-nine. Anybody or thirty-seven? Anybody got a better guess than thirty-seven? Thirty-nine. Anybody got a better guess than thirty-nine? Forty-two. We're getting uh, 40, further away. Minus ten. Minus ten. Anybody just, know what forty-two say, minus ten is? Thirty-two. Thirty-two. He's already got a T-shirt. He's already got a T-shirt. Let's give it to uh, this. Look, this guy wearing thirty-two. Thirty-two. Did you say thirty-two? Perfect. God, perfect. Give her a T-shirt. Give her a T-shirt. Right here, this little girl. You can go if it doesn't fit. You can go get a smaller one from us in the booth over here when we're done. I reject wholeheartedly the whole generational gap thing. Okay. If you're elite, no, well, I mean, no, I'm, I'm not rejecting what you're saying. No, no, I know you're not. But, but I, a lot of people, I, I think, talk about this millennial thing, right? Or this Generation Z thing, right? Well, well, well. Guess what? If you're failing to connect with these people, you're failing as a leader. You know, when you say a generational gap, a millennial thing, what you're you're blaming, right? People are. I feel like that's blaming them. You know, look, they're not like us. Right. They don't know how to work equipment like we did. Mm -hmm. Right. All right, we'll teach them. Right. Yeah, 100%. Bring them in, build some trust. Right. Make an effort to get to know them and show them. Take these people. I mean, look at look what this generation has ha has done in, in the military, in, in Iraq and Afghanistan. You know, they've, they went out and they've been getting after it, and I respect them for it. They, they're capable. They just right. need leaders to bring them together and show them the way. Right. And that's our responsibility. Like right. We need to do that. If there's a guy on the rig that doesn't know how to start a saw because he's never been shown, well, where are you? Teach him. Right. I'm saying you collectively, not like you no, specifically. I, but I no, I think you, know. you John. You're yeah. honestly. <laughs> yeah, seriously. You know, yeah. I mean, show him <laughs> how to drive a truck. Piece seen, of crap. I've seen guys come on the job. They, they've never really driven a, a large vehicle before. Right. All right. Well, got it. Get in the seat. Get in the seat. Let's yeah. go. Let's, right. let's, let's train yeah. you up. Yeah. You know, we had... A, a couple things. One is people forget like the millennial generation is the generation that fought the war in Iraq and Afghanistan. That's the age. 100%, that's the age group. Yes. Um, yes. To the going, what you said, like managers versus leaders. I know we've had that conversation. There's a yep. very big difference oh, absolutely. in someone who is a manager and someone who is a leader. And um, one of the things, like when you say about getting into the truck, like, drive the truck uh barry and i both worked for a lieutenant and one of the things he did that i thought was great was as we were approaching our mark where we were able to take the radio which is, i don't know different departments call it different things so being an acting officer being yeah. an acting lieutenant on the truck is he actually had us ride he rode in the back and yeah. had you know like one day i was driving and barry was acting as a lieutenant another day barry was driving i was acting as a lieutenant and he sat in the back and guided but let us actually like get that experience and like put yeah. that experience on us and we I mean, the day I did it, we actually had a pretty eventful, eventful yeah. day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, would, but that's a guy being a good leader, right there. Exactly, he's trying to prepare you for what you're, what's coming your way. And I think a lot of people that could be leaders or are in positions to be leaders don't bring up the people behind them because they yeah. are afraid of becoming irrelevant or being right. passed over in promotions yeah. and instead, um, you know, hold not necessarily hold people back, but don't prepare people. So those people that you find that actually will 
bring you up with them or even ahead of them or whatever the case is. Those are special people. That's that's an imperative for us to train <coughs> our people to take the next step up the chain if they need to. Who knows who's gonna be absent? Who knows gonna be who's gonna be out or injured or down? Right. The next guy in line needs to be able to step up and take charge at any moment. Right. At yeah. any moment. And that's that's the the key of like leadership development is your role as an effective leader is to build capable leaders that are right. capable to replace them. I guess the the first thing to talk about is the shooter profiles. Um, 99% of these are some important stats, and these are all stats that were generated from the FBI. It was a case study done, um, and all this information is relevant right up until 2018 for, from this particular um, PowerPoint that we have. Um, and this is closer to when we did our actual training on it. Um, but something important, some important stats are 99% of the time we have one shooter. And contrary to what, you know, you might hear on the news, 57% of the time, it's a pistol. All right. So not everybody's breaking down the doors with assault rifles and things like that. I think actually most people probably have more access to pistols than, than anything else. Um, and, and what I was going to point out in the beginning, and it's already in this first slide, 53% of the time, it's a business setting, right? I think all of us in our own heads, we, we jump right to schools, right? Because it's, it's the worst case scenario. It's the worst yeah. case scenario. I mean, they're all worst case scenarios. But. It's the softest target possible, right? right. And, we, and, we just, and we just saw that. So, 21% um, of the time, it's in multiple locations. And then uh, only 5% of the time, the active shooters will have body armor. So, so just to clarify, we're talking about active shooter, not necessarily mass shootings all the time, right? So not every active shooting event is a mass shooting event. Correct. Yeah. So that that's that's something um, good to point out. Although you know, oftentimes with yeah, so that is one way that sometimes the stats get padded, right? And to so when you see on the news, oh, there's been 300 um, active shooter events. Well, that could just be like I think it's three or more people for a mass shooting for, or something. Yeah. For yeah, and for gen generally action. that's when we're getting involved is when it's mass shooting right. as the fire service. So that's right. what we tend to talk about. But just right. just to point out that not every active shooter is a mass. That's that's a very important thing to point out because again, it pads stats when they say, you know, all oh, these mass shootings or you right. know, these active shooters, they kinda go hand in hand, but they're not exactly the same. And to the average listener who isn't dissecting it and dissecting the data, it's easy to kind of get it confused. And um, it can be a little bit misleading. So um, this is an important stat, and this is really important for us as, uh, on the fire service because 65% of these events are over in five minutes, 85% over in 10, 90% over in 15. So that means that the event's typically over before we arrive, right? So that's something to consider that, you know, obviously our police are going in um, and their job is to immediately Aggr aggress towards the threat. Aggress towards right. the threat. That's it. Exactly. Um, let's see. So where are we going? We did um, not Asher training specifically, yeah. but um, ours now is it's Tech C because it used to be T Triple C stuff, but yeah. now it's Tech C. -C. Yeah. yeah. And it and the the two priorities are stop the threat mm -hmm. and then stop the bleed. Exactly right. And we're and on we're on the second yeah. half of that, but the, a lot of times, as you're saying, that stop the threat is right. happened, whether by, you know, suicide from the gunman or police intervention or whatever the Correct. case is. Yeah. Uh, and actually, so Barry, you actually have uh, very specific training in this. Yeah, um, I've spent a fair amount of time uh, 
on this topic and training for this topic. So uh, TCCC instructor, TECC instructor um, have done like the type of training that sounds um, that you participate in uh, a fair amount. Um, so there's there's, there's a, ho a whole lot to dissect uh, as far as like different roles for different agencies, what size agency you have. So um, the big thing, like <coughs> there's been a, a big uh, paradigm shift as far as like how we handle active shooters in the first responder community. The first big one was Columbine, um, where it kind of was treated more like a barricaded subject. Um, we won't get into the stuff, um, the contemporary stuff, um, but the paradigm shift of like in order to stop the ble you know, no pun intended, to stop the bleeding and to stop the killing, uh, you have to aggress towards the threat. Uh, and then that paradigm shift within uh, the first responder community of what role exactly does the fire and emergency services play in that. Um, obviously, police's role and responsibility is to kill the individual that's killing people, uh, or at least eliminate the threat. Uh, but how can we how can we bridge that gap as far as the time period uh, between uh, that someone's either uh, shot, stabbed, mortally wounded? Act, you know, it can be an active shooter, it can be an active stabber, or it's an active situation. Uh, so how can we narrow that time period between uh, the individual suffering that gunshot wound or stabbing uh, and us providing critical critical interventions and in, in removing uh, removing them from that environment? Um, so that has changed a lot. So there's, there's lots of different, um, different makeups, right? So, you know, Cambridge, we have rescue task force. Um, we have also have tactical paramedics, um, that are part of the SWAT team. So they're right there, uh, versus rescue task force where you have a police officer that is essentially your escort. Uh, so, uh, individuals on ALS units or BLS units, um, are, moving towards the warm zone, right? They're not waiting outside. They're moving towards the warm zone uh, with security with them to start removing patients as quickly as possible and expediting that process. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, I could go on for... Yeah, yeah no, so the big takeaway, right? Like you mentioned from Columbine, right? Is we have to aggress the aggressor, right? We have to get in there right away and stop the threat. That's it. And so that single event changed tactics for... Um, the entire country. For, for the entire country. Potentially the world. For, yeah, potentially the world, right, for for active shooter. And so that's that's where um, a lot of this training was born because before that, there, there really right. wasn't any training on it. Well, it, it it has really only been the last few years where it's it's gotten to the point where they're sending EMS and the fire service or, if that's a joint agency, both mm -hmm. into these warm zones, into the buildings these mm -hmm. shooters are in. And I think what came with all the data was that you know, the police are going in and aggressing and trying to eliminate the threat, but they were, until that was eliminated, there was nobody taking care of these patients. Maybe other police are going in and pulling them out, but there was nobody in there caring for them. And so what they found is that there were a lot of deaths that were preventable mm -hmm. and preventable by something as simple as having a tourniquet available or whatever yeah. the case is. And that's kind of where the, the, for us, like, it's not just us. I know rescue task force is just a, is a common thing around here, but getting in the building, there might still be a shooting going on and we're not going to where the shooting is actually taking place, but right. kind of following that trail and whether it's actually pulling people out or we have kits where we literally throw bags at people that have a tourniquet and gauze and different things yeah. to stop the yeah. bleed because, right. Right. um, you know, what's killing these people is, is hemorrhage. Ultimately it's the hemorrhage, right? Yeah. 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 So. And you can be, it doesn't like you're going to have an element of officers that's aggressing the threat, but I feel like, like a lot of the, the initial first line interventions for, um, traumatic injury in the sense of like gunshot stabbing is not ALS interventions. It's BLS interventions. It's tourniquets. 
uh, it's combat gauze and it's chest seals. And yep. that, that's what's had the biggest outcome as far as reducing morbidity and mortality. Yep. There's a couple other things that you can sprinkle in there that have a profound effect, but those are generally the yeah. the baseline things that are stopping that massive yep. hemorrhage. Right. No, that's it. You're going in with minimal equipment, what we'd call like our stat kit, right? We have, you know, we're going to be going in if we just want. So like from here, we can just talk kind of about the response, right? Because yeah, sure. This is exactly where the conversation's leading. Um, so law enforcement response, obviously they're going to have their contact team, their initial responding officers. They're going to go in, right? Flood the, zone. The, the police are like, they're going to be on scene within a couple minutes of hearing yeah. this, right? And the so fastest responding, they're going in. The idea is to go in just like we do two in, two out, but they're not waiting for an additional officer while they hear gunshots in the background. Realistically, they're just not going to do that. The other thing is uh, an important thing to talk about is, um, you're going to have people self-dispatch. There are going to be police lot, from yeah. all over heading that way. Yeah, right? yeah they're multiple just, agencies. They're just going to go. And if, it's, and if it's and uh, if it's if it is a school, and it's, it gets on the news relatively quickly because those guys all have scanners, yeah. you're also going to have parents and people that are shouldn't be on the scene at all, Absolutely. flooding the scene. So it can it could get pretty Very, crazy yeah. and dynamic pretty quickly. And we saw that recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah we did. So we and did that's like that. natural natural human reaction to yeah. want to absolutely um yeah no i mean i think you can break it down a lot of the different ways um and when i when i think about active shooter like i'm not i'm always concerned about it i'm not as concerned about the outcome in a community like <laughs> there's no way really good way to put this i'm not as concerned about the outcome in a community like cambridge that is so resource heavy and trained to a very high level as far as like there's a lot of emphasis placed on right. rescue task force right any active shooter scares me right but what really scares me is like a large-scale active shooter event in a really small community with a really small police department and a really small fire department yeah and maybe they don't or potentially a volunteer fire department that right. doesn't have the budget right to have like in cambridge for example we have ballistic helmets body armor on every single piece of apparatus in the city right. along with those stat kits right yeah. We have tactical paramedics. Right. We have a SWAT team. Like we have like very, we can flood the zone with resources. That's right, you <laughs> fell into one, right? Yeah. <laughs> I have the vision versus reality. Yeah. Right. Right. In my head, it's me and Will. And I realize that conditions are rapidly deteriorating. Will. And I, and I, I was wrap, like, fuck Will Garbage Day. And I wrap one end of my bailout kit. I'm like, you go, I'll be right behind you. And then like lower him down and yeah. then fucking save myself. But in reality, I literally bought I a bailout kit yeah. just so Barry could never have yeah. to save my life. What I would do, right, is I'd be like, "Will, hold this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See you later, <laughs> sucker. <laughs> Wait, are you saying I'm big enough to be an <laughs> immovable anchor? We'll just wrap Son it around you and hook it on itself. <laughs> <laughs>